it was painful for me being a newlywed 19 year old, severely sick with HG in the hospital and a neighbor who just birthed baby number who knows what is overhearing my story and the doctors coming in and talking to me and feeling like she has the right because she's my friend, she's my neighbor to ask me personal questions like, why don't you just force yourself to eat, drink ginger ale, eat crackers. And, you know, amongst our community of HG women, we laugh. We're like, don't cracker us. Don't ginger us. You know, like, yes, we try the crackers. We try the ginger. This is not morning sickness. This is HG, hyperemesis gravidarum. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to episode 67 of the Happy Birthway Podcast. I am going to get right to it. This episode is one that you absolutely, positively do not want to miss, whether or not you have this condition of severe nausea called hyperemesis gravidarum HG. It will give you an entirely new perspective when you hear about uh, firsthand a sufferer of HG, what she had to go through. Henny is so dynamic and eloquent and such an interesting storyteller. And I have so much respect for the fact that she took this really difficult experience that she has had and transformed it into purpose to help others going through the same thing. But right before I tell you about this, I just wanted to let you know, because I'm sure those of you who didn't attend the workshop are dying to know about the self-advocacy in birth virtual live workshop. It was amazing. It was it just energized me so much because all the things that I taught were things are things that I wish my patients would know before they came to the hospital. So it feels really purposeful for me to have taught this to other women. And if you missed it and you're really sad or if you're not in the phase that you would need to use it yet, just know, don't worry, I'm actually going to be offering it as an online course shortly, so stay tuned for that announcement. And next week is Purim. Those of you who are celebrating Purim, I'm sure you are in a frenzy of preparation. And if you're not, then I am. So I'm not sure if an episode will be released next week. Um, If it's not, do not worry, I will be back the following week after that. One last caveat before I start the recording of this episode is that for those of you who are not affiliated with the Jewish Orthodox community, Henny is going to reference some things, some organizations and names, and just use a lot of terms that you may not be familiar with, but I think you will infer the meaning of it through the context of the conversation. And of course, if you have any questions about that, if you need any particulars, you're always welcome to email me, Hani at com. And even better, call me. 
and leave me a message at 203-759-8639. I know a lot, but I don't know what you don't know unless you tell me. So when you leave a voicemail with questions, then you are giving me information to know what else you would like to hear. This HG episode has been requested multiple times by listeners, and I'm so happy to present it to you. Enjoy. My name is Henny Goldstein. I grew up, was born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. My dream was to become a special ed teacher, um, working with kids that needed a special ed setting just so I could give all my being to these special children. I was a counselor in Camp Simcha, um, a camp for kids with cancer or special needs. I really gave my heart and my soul to caring for these children. I only have one sibling and um, I don't remember my mother being pregnant because me and my sister are three years apart. I don't remember at three years old being seeing my mother being pregnant. So once when I got pregnant, three months after marriage, um, I would say four weeks, you know, yippee, pregnant, which OB do I use? Do I tell? Do I not tell? Do I share the news? Do I keep it secret? And I asked, um, you know, a rabbi, um, when do I tell, when do I, you know, reveal the news? And he said, usually the first three months, we keep it hush hush, the first three months. And I'm like, okay, great. At five weeks pregnant, the roller coaster started of nausea. And I'm like, yeah, I am pregnant. The nausea's here. That's like the good sign. You know, that means the hormones are kicking in. It's working. Great. And I went to work with a sucking candy in my mouth. Water was a no-no. It would just make me vomit. My diet consisted of like boiled potatoes <laughs> and some sports drinks. And like, that was really it. But I was able to function. I was able to get out of bed, wash my face, um, somehow get to work. At six weeks, I could tell you I was really seeing stars. And I was constantly vomiting, constantly excusing myself from my teaching position, working with adults with special needs. Um, I was still in college. I was not able to be in college and work and be pregnant all at the same time. So I did take a break from my studies and I said, we'll get back to this because I'm better. It could be just the first trimester I'll be like this. Who knows, you know? Um, I was able to work until my seventh week of pregnancy. At that point, I, I I couldn't. I woke up in the morning to get to work and I just literally, I fell back into bed. I could not bring myself to getting out of bed. I was just constantly, any slight movement, I would vomit. Looking at the ceiling, vomit. The smells just from my neighbor in the apartment buildings, cooking and cleaning products. I was going cuckoo. And I felt like, okay, maybe I'll move into my mother's house. But that was also bad. My mother's cooking and the cleaning and the laundry detergents and just the noise. What I did realize was something is really off. And I called my OB and she's like, oh, okay, nausea, very normal, welcome. You know, let's get you on Zofran. The generic is on Destron. And, you know, I'll send you some pills. You'll take it. You know, for me, I was taking it about three times over the course of 24 hours. It was about every eight hours I took it like clockwork, exactly on the time that I was due for it. I took it. Um, it was eight milligrams 
Um, there's four milligrams, which I personally don't recommend. You know, um, I like the eight milligram dosage every about eight hours. Um, and I'm like, wonderful. How are we going to swallow this? Because whatever touched my lips would just nausea, vomit. And I'm like, this isn't working for me. The second I tried to swallow it with something and I tried multiple different kinds of drinks, you know, we're talking about literally melted ice cubes, hot water, cold water, room temperature water. I tried different flavor teas and iced teas and different sodas and seltzer and nothing worked. Um, then we started researching, you know, Chinese medicine, maybe the needles, the acupuncture. Um, we went like really crazy with trying all different things. Um, we did try the dissolving ondesterone, the dissolving Zofran, which I personally, if someone's nauseous, I don't recommend to any girl that reaches out to me because just the taste on the mouth is so brutal that what's that exactly accomplishing? You know, if someone's so nauseous, how is the dissolving pill in the mouth that is nasty supposed to exactly help you know so when someone's in that state it's like now what um at seven weeks i had fainted i was rushed to the hospital my body was already in ketosis um my body was breaking down itself for literally survival to quickly explain to our audience what ketosis means you have no more glucose in your body. And so in order for your body to survive, it starts breaking down the fat, which releases ketones, which is a form of sugar. And when somebody is in ketosis, then we know that it's a place where they're starting to starve their body of um, nutrients. Right. So my OB was like, you're going straight to the hospital and you're going to be there for a few days. Um, uh, it took them a long time to find a vein because when a person is so depleted and so dehydrated, a regular nurse, as many years experience as she has, is not finding a vein. You know, yes, the sonogram machines may need to be, you know, where the vein finder machine, I forgot the name of that, will need to be brought in to find a vein. And even with that, the veins are gone. They're blowing. I've had NICU nurses coming and try to find veins in me. My doctor, my kind OBGYN that I was seeing at, at that time when I lived in Brooklyn was like, I am not leaving, even though my shift is over until we find you a vein. We need to get vitamins into you, hydration into you, Zofran intravenously. Um, I said, great. <laughs> I need help. Help me. Save me. I thought I was dying. Um, thank God they found a beautiful IV that lasted. <laughs> and yes, it needed to get changed three days later. But three days was like, whoa, I, I wouldn't know that, you know, the whole long three days was like a lifetime, a century. I was in Maimonides at that time. There's no private rooms like we have here in New Jersey. Um, it was very difficult sharing a room. And this was not an antepartum. This was some postpartum. And it was painful for me being a newlywed, 19-year-old, um, severely sick with HG in the hospital and a neighbor who just birthed, you know, baby number who knows what is overhearing my story and the doctors coming in and talking to me and feeling like she has the right because she's my friend, she's my neighbor to ask me personal questions like, 
why don't you just force yourself to eat, drink ginger ale, eat crackers. And, you know, amongst our community of HG women, we laugh. We're like, don't cracker us. Don't ginger us. You know, like, yes, we try the crackers. We try the ginger. This is not morning sickness. This is HG, hyperemesis gravidarum. I want to point out that back in the day before the IV was developed, women died. This was the number one cause of maternal mortality among pregnant women. The fact that their body was actually completely malnourished from the pregnancy. And today we're in a place where unless that's happening, then we're not going to try to do anything for your nausea. You know, so not to minimize, HG is a, a severe, severe level of nausea and malnourishment. But it's just sad that we're only in a place where unless you're about to die and dehydrate, <laughs> we're not going to really help your nausea much. Here's some pills if they don't help just survive. I have found, Connie, over the years that there are doctors that are compassionate, that do understand HG, that they will help you from beginning to end. And there are some doctors that really still don't get it. And they won't prescribe Zofran because of the old theories. Everyone has to weigh the risks and the benefits of taking any medication during pregnancy using the research that we have. There may be risks, but it's always a risk-benefit analysis. And it's okay to take it even if there are risks because the benefits may outweigh those 100%. risks. A hundred percent. So when a woman is calling me and she is petrified to take, you know, an anti-emetic because... She read somewhere that it may, you know, I'm like, so you want to die? You know, you want to starve yourself? You want to be completely just literally, it's like death for women that, you know, after they do give birth, I tell them your body needs a break. It needs time to heal. You need time to bond with your baby. Talk to your rabbi, talk to your OBGYN. I feel like it's really important that you need that break. It is very hard when you're pregnant and you have a baby at home to be dealing with diapers and have HG. You know, it's not easy when you're pregnant again and you have little ones at home that need your attention. Everyone needs to decide with their husband to see what kind of a support care system they have to see when they'll be ready. To I don't know if I would ever want to have another child if I had to go through what I see some women do that. And to your point, there are women that I hear tell me how they wish that they can have another child so desperately, but because of the horrific effects that HG has had on them, they just physically feel like they cannot withstand another pregnancy and have to extend the time period between pregnancies. And that's what we call circumstantial infertility. Technically, from a physical, purely physical standpoint, they can get pregnant, but it can be um, life-threatening and just take a terrible toll on their health and on their marriage. Definitely. I could tell you the health and the marriage. My with me, it takes me about a good year for my iron levels to return to normal. And that's after iron infusions. I have Hashimoto's hypothyroid since I'm a little girl. And I could tell you with pregnancy, my thyroid goes bonkers. And my baby is 18 months. I could tell you that from the beginning of my pregnancy until about three months ago, every six weeks, we were changing the brand of levothyroxine, the thyroid hormone. We were trying different dosages, different dosages, different days. We were trying different brand names. 
we were trying everything for my thyroid. Thank God, about three months ago, my thyroid finally stabilized. I have healthy thyroid numbers. Now, for many of you that don't know, thyroid plays a big role in mental health. And when any woman who has HG is dehydrated, hallucinations happen as well. So during some of my pregnancies, when I was so severely dehydrated, and even with the IV, even with the central lines, because I was so weak and so malnourished and just needed that fresh air, needed to function again, I was literally seeing elephants in the room. I really didn't like visitors because just the smell of their laundry detergent, the smell of their perfume, the smell of their shampoo, the smell of, I knew what they ate for breakfast that morning, you know, because in pregnancy, especially with HG, the smell is like, and I call it the canine dog nose. It was very hard for me to have people come within literally a hundred feet of me. My husband, he knew he couldn't come near me at 20 weeks. A new leaf started. I started being able to somewhat function again. My research is that the placenta is fully developed and formed and the hormones start, you know, tweaking down a little bit. I started to be able to somewhat function. I'm not saying cook or clean. I'm saying getting up to take a shower. I'm saying getting up to not brush my teeth yet, but like swish some water in my mouth. Um, makeup was a no-no. Covering my hair with a wig was a no-no. But I was able to walk up and down the steps a little bit. Yes, I had to be careful because my blood pressure was very low. So I was constantly um, fainting and falling. And at times I would fall and I didn't even realize that I had fallen. Um, the countless times that Hatsala came just because I decided I need a shower finally. And I didn't realize that I was still at risk. And my husband would come home and find me like collapsed on the floor in the bathroom. Um, you know, at that point, I wasn't even embarrassed anymore about Salah coming and picking me up from the shower. I just said, get me back into bed. I realized I was not ready for this yet, you know, or I needed still assistance with just daily bodily functions. With my second pregnancy, I knew something was wrong because I was fine. I was able to function. I was able to make macaroni. <laughs> I was able to boil water and it didn't get me sick, you know? Um, and I kept on telling the doctor something's wrong. And he said, at six weeks, we'll be able to know for sure what's going on. And at six weeks, there was um, no baby. There was no fetus. There was just a sack. Um, he called it a chemical pregnancy. And this was, I would say, yes, Thomas Esther. And I was not able to have my DNC until Shushan Parim, which was about three days later. So it was a very interesting Parim. I could tell you that. It was a very mixed emotion roller coaster going on because, yes, I was still a little bit nauseous. Just, you know, Zofran did the trick, you know, Zofran worked, oral Zofran. <laughs> and I didn't think about pregnancy for a few more years. That, Right now, let me enjoy my daughter. She was two and a half at that time. I didn't think about pregnancy until my daughter was about four years old. You shouldn't ever be telling people like, oh, how many kids you have? Or, oh, so many years apart. You know, it's no one's business. It's no one's place. It's, yes, in certain circles, there could be peer pressure, you know. In certain circles, it's a very hush-hush topic, birth control. For me, it's crucial, you know, to 
be able to plan my pregnancies properly, to know the support that I have. Thank God my husband is extremely supportive. He is helpful. He is there. He literally, he comes from a family of 12 and he always wants to have a large family. And I know I can't, I can't have 12 kids. And it was painful, you know, the comments that I got throughout my pregnancies were like, oh, poor Heshi, he's the type to have 15 kids, but with a wife like you, they said like, oh, I have the same thing, HG, but I didn't have a choice. I forced myself to eat. I made dinner. I made the holiday meals. I prepped the holidays. I drove. I took. I cleaned. I worked. And you know what? For me, I just, I answer them, wow. And I nod my head because it's not worth it answering them. And you found your tribe who can understand the severity of nausea that comes for people who have HG, where they literally cannot lift their head off of the pillow. And I think that that for you has helped understand that, yes, these people really just they they're blessed. They may have had nausea. It may have been really bad. I'm not invalidating it, but it was not at the level where some people are literally critically ill. Um, and I'm sorry that you had to experience that. And I'm sorry for everyone with HG that has to experience that. And I hope listening to this episode, you can find some validation that if you cannot function, it's not that there's something wrong with you. And in the same way that pain is subjective for everybody, it's not on us to judge and say, oh, I, I had no choice. You know, I had to, if your arm is falling off, you won't say, oh, I had no choice. I still have to cook dinner for my kids. I've also realized, you know, and I've told many women over the past 13 years that if you find that your provider is not being supportive and is not hearing you and is not there for you, you need to find a new provider. Yes, we live in America where there are many, many wonderful doctors and there are many um, organizations here in America, the Her Foundation, hyperemesis.org, where there is research, there is support. Um, unfortunately, in Europe and Israel, it's not as up to date like we have here in America. There is no Bunjasta. Bunjasta is a wonderful new anti-nausea emetic that came out. It is from the media of Zyclegis, which is a popular anti-nausea medication. It is the same ingredient. However, the way how it's absorbed and broken down into the body is different. And a lot of women, including myself, where Zyclegis did diddly squat, Bunjasta has literally been the life savior for them. I could tell you with Bunjasta, for me, it took me out of my misery. It is, I could for me, it was a sedative, so it did make me very drowsy, and I was able to fall asleep, and those good 14 hours that I was out cold, I was able to sleep, you know, with such bad nausea, you, you, you can't even sleep, you know, so you're, besides for being sick and nauseous, you are so, so badly sleep deprived. Um, I could tell you, back to my first pregnancy, I was falling into depression because I was so isolated. Then I said, I need to do something to keep some sort of a spirit up. And I was sitting in my OB's office after I was released from the hospital. Um, you know, I was put onto home care and I had a visiting nurse to change my IVs. 
At that time, I wasn't for central lines. I'd rather got, I've got them poked and prodded, which I did you know, every few days. And then towards the end, it was like a few times a day just because I was so scared of a central line. And just to tell our audience that's not familiar, a central line goes into a large uh, blood vessel in your body. It's not just one of the peripheral veins on your extremities, most typically on your arm or hand, um, but it can stay in for a lot longer. There's a greater risk for infection. And it's also a procedure where you, uh, most people do have anesthesia, some form of sedation for as well. Um and so just for our audience listening that doesn't know, it, it is it is something that can stay in for a lot longer. Some people get a port, which is a similar idea to that as well. So at that time, um, I, I was falling into a depression and I wanted to lift my spirits. And I said, you know what? I want to open up a gamach um, free of charge. I want to be able to help the community. And... Purim was approaching and I decided to open up a costume gamach. Now, how was I going to do this while I'm sick in bed? So online on my phone, when I felt, you know, well enough to look at some costume websites, um, I ordered a bunch of costumes and I had a neighbor of mine run it out of her apartment for that year. And it was a real success. It was wonderful. And we gave whatever money came in for a donation to um, High Lifeline where they help those sick children. You know, my dream was to help um, special needs, kids that are suffering, but because I'm pregnant and I wasn't able to do my dream job, let the money go there. I still run my gamach. This year, whatever money is coming in is going to towards the Sefer Torah that I'm writing for my father, Allah Hashem. My father died of COVID at age 57, Pesach 2020. So, Amir um, Tzashem, that will be a big success. So back to my pregnancies with my third child, me and my husband were ready to talk about the concept of going off of birth control. I didn't know if I would have HG again, like by my first, I didn't know if it would come, you know, at five, six weeks and seven weeks hospitalized, but we had the support system in place. We don't have a lot of family nearby, so it would just be the two of us and Beaker Colum for food, maybe if we needed, you know, we would have figured that out. Um, I did have friends nearby that were willing to help. We, we did ask them beforehand because that was crucial to have that lineup, you know, in place for when the day that I need to go into the hospital, someone will be there for my, my daughter. Um, this time, HG came as a full blown attack. At first, I would have said it was just a couple of raindrops compared to by this pregnancy, it was a full-blown tsunami earthquake. And I had a family member come and thought I was literally psychotic. And she called the psych department to come and evaluate me because she never saw such a thing. And I needed support with this pregnancy. I was in terrible shape. And I do have an aunt, not not blood relative through marriage, that did have severe HG 30-something years ago. And in those days, they thought it was psychotic. They didn't know. They were telling women to just abort you know, the DNC. Um, and she was extremely supportive and helpful. But I'm like, how could anyone go through such a pregnancy? My teeth were 
teeth were beef and acid. I had gum infections, gum disease, sores, kink sores, jaundice. My liver was out of whack, my eyes, my nails, my teeth, everything just looked yellow, banana, you know. Um, my skin was peeling, it was falling off. My hair was a mess. Um, I had lost over 10 pounds in one week. So it wasn't just ketosis. There were no veins. The doctor did a midline. Um, I would say the midline lasted for about a week and a blue. And we had no choice to go with a pick line. I was petrified of that because I know that there are risks involved with that. And you have to be super clean and sterile. And having a child that's a four-year-old coming in, looking and poking and prodding around you, you know, that's risk. Um, when I had my nurse come and clean it, I didn't know that it would be painful, you know, that burning painful sensation on my frail, peeling skin, dry body. I always had someone by my side when I got that cleaning, just, just to hold on to. I did have TPN. Would you like to explain what TPN is or should I? TPN is basically uh, IV feeding, which again is also something that's really a last resort because the nutrients are not absorbed as well. And there is a high risk for infection because it's literally nutrients going straight into your blood veins. It's not the same thing as IV fluids. That's different. Um, and it's for people who literally cannot digest anything through their digestive tract. So it's going straight into their blood, those nutrients. Um, it's not as effective nutrition as it would be had if it were absorbed through the GI tract. Once I started the TPN, I did feel a little bit more energized. I was allergic to the lipids, so we had to stop it. And I was just down to just getting vitamins. You know, my daughter called the TPN milkshake bags and she called just the vitamin bag that looked yellow apple juice. Um, so it was like, mommy's getting apple juice now. Mommy's getting milkshake now. Um, there is a wonderful book written by Ashley McCall. Um, she is part of the Hyperemesis Education Research Foundation. She wrote a book called Mama Has Hyperemesis Gravidurum, but only for a while. You could get it on Amazon or I could send it. My mentor from the Her Foundation actually told me about it. And it's a wonderful book for children who sees their parents suffering, you know, and it, and it explains it to them exactly what their mother's going through. I could tell you that when my loin got infected with sepsis, I was in the hospital for about 11 days fighting sepsis from my pick line. I did have an NG tube put in. An NG tube is a tube that goes down the nose, um, down into the abdomen for nutrition. It's not comfortable. It is not your best friend. You will not fall in love with it. I did pull mine out because I couldn't stomach it anymore. And I was force fed until I was discharged from the hospital. And I said, I will force feed myself. And that's what we did. My father, Allah Hashalom, would come and he would literally, as a newborn baby, try to spoon. And we tried different things until we found what works. I got discharged out of Pesach and I went home being given um, a hetzer from my rabbi, permission from my rabbi that whatever I need to eat over Passover, I could eat. Um, literally because it's survival. Um, I was able to take insurers and my doctor was like, wonderful, insurer is great. You know, whatever you could do a day, keep down. So I was able, very slowly, it took me a whole day to eat a can of, drink a can of insurer. That's what we did. 
I could tell you my baby was born eight pounds, three ounces, 21 inches long. Go figure, right? Um, by my third child, it was Vanjasta was the life savior. Instead of a pick, I got a Groshan catheter, a cord in my chest that lasted for 16 weeks, no infection. I did not have TPN though. Um, I just needed um, vitamins and hydration and Zofran and Pepsid. It is very important to take um, an antacid while a woman is going through the whole HG because you know, with all the vomit and the throw up and you know, the lack of food, all the acids. All the gastric juices that are very acidic, they come right back up, right? And they're very, it's very uncomfortable. Pepsid is a wonderful medication that's given in the IV. Do you think you didn't need the TPN because the Bungesta worked better for you? I believe that the Bungesta really helped. And with that pregnancy, I was able to eat one cucumber and four cups of raspberry tea. And the doctor said, if you could eat one cucumber, I'm not laughing, and four cups of raspberry tea, then you could come off of your um, port and that's fine. That's enough for you. And, you know, like I said, starting 20 weeks, a new leaf turns over and I could start adding more food to my diet. Um, it's really trial and error till we figure out what works. With my yummy, delicious baby now, um, I got a bracha from the Belzer Robinson um, in Israel right before COVID. I have a healthy pregnancy and easy pregnancy. And my father died before I got pregnant. And it must have been his prayers up there, you know, because he is sitting right next to God. All COVID victims are sitting next to God. And he must have been praying for me. And, you know, with the blessing from the Robinson, that this was my only pregnancy where I did not need IV. I did not need a central line. I did not need nutrition. I was able to eat a banana, cheese toast, and vanilla yogurt. Wow. What an upgrade for you. I was able to keep down the purple vitamin water. Yes, I still needed Bungesta. Yes, I still needed Zofran. I took Protonix. I took Pepsid. Um, I did need iron infusions because I was severely anemic. And at 37 weeks, the doctor showed that the baby was already 8'7". And with my third child, he was nine pounds and he needed um, the procedure called shoulder to because he was so big that he got stuck. The doctor had to literally break his shoulder to get a male. Go figure again with an HD mother, you know. And with my baby now at 37 weeks, they induced me. He came out. He was eight, seven. Um, and that's my story for you. I am passionate about helping women. Unfortunately, there are people that just don't know how to be of a support because they just don't understand and they just don't get it. You know, like I said before, just take ginger, take crackers. You know, I have a 96 year old grandmother with each pregnancy. She's like, just take the crackers, just take the ginger. And I say, thank you. I'm going to try that. I really appreciate that advice because it's not worth fighting with someone who doesn't get it. I have seen marriages on the rocks due to HG and it's important for the couple to go for therapy once the wife is capable of even talking because HG is so, you know, weakens the woman. Um, that certain times in my pregnancy, I literally couldn't talk. I couldn't watch any movement, any sound would just make me literally vomit, sick, just to lift my head. I had people trying to reach out to me and they were 
literally vicious and they wanted to know why I'm ignoring them. And I had to explain, you know, once I got better, I wasn't ignoring you. I'm just seeing your messages now. I'm just hearing your messages now. I was sick and they didn't, under, they really didn't get it. And it was interesting because I had a camper of mine from Cam Samcha tell me that she also had HG and she had chemo treatments. And I said, which one was worse? <laughs> I was very blunt. And she said, HG. Wow. HG was awful. HG was vicious. HG was the monster with someone who is has a illness that is, I hate using this, but that's popular, that's hot, you know? All of the organizations are there to financially to support, to emotionally support, to be there in any shape and form that they can. When there's an illness, either mental, emotional, or struggling child at home, um, there's not a lot of support. People don't understand. People misjudge. People are not there to validate. People are not there to jump in and help. So it's crucial that when there's something that is not a, a hot topic, cancer or um, an almana that just her husband died and left her with seven children, you know, and the whole community's there and helping and opening up a GoFundMe page. I could tell you that during my pregnancies, when we reached out for help and support to the local organizations, no one was really interested in helping us. Speaker Cholim of Lakewood is amazing. They sent dinner and Yantif meals for nine months. They knew to deliver it to my garage or my back porch because food in my house is a no-no. Wow. I've always felt like I would have rather the meals come in my first trimester of pregnancy and I didn't have HG, you know, by any means. I, I was nauseous. I wasn't feeling great. But I felt like I'd rather have meals sent to me my first trimester for my family than after I gave birth. A hundred percent. We have this notion that after birth is the only time that we can send meals to a woman. And if given the choice, I'm sure many women would say the same as myself. Or I remember being in my ninth month and feeling like, oh, I wish I could get meals now. I don't care about after birth. I feel much better after I give birth. And, you know, it takes literally a village to be there for one another. Um. This past summer, when my thyroid was completely out of whack, my number was 16. If you know the proper thyroid number, 16 is is, is very bad. Um, and it affected my mental health, that I was in a treatment facility in California for anxiety and depression for about seven weeks. I had severe, severe anxiety and depression due to my thyroid. Um, I was in the psych ward for a week. Um, and, uh, I could tell you that I came a very long way with therapy, with different kinds of treatments, with different kinds of therapeutic approaches, with somatic therapy, you know, there's all different kinds of therapy. Now there's neurofeedback, there's cranial psychotherapy, um, that when I came home, a lot of my friends that knew my situation, sent my kids Shabbos party and made the whole Shabbos for me, which was really, really beautiful. So like I say, sometimes, you know, family is not there for you. They don't get it or they don't know how to be there for you. Where good neighbors and good friends have your back. And that is something wow. that I'm extremely grateful for. I'm extremely grateful that my husband 
is supportive and is holding my hand and he's there for me and he is father of the year by just being there for my children when I have when I was sick and I couldn't I wasn't able to function you know and yes with my last pregnancy it was hard my husband had um a scare of skin cancer thank god that was removed he had bell's palsy and i felt like people did give us more compassion not because i have hg and i'm sick and bad throwing up because my husband has skin cancer which was like removed and he didn't need treatments by hashem you know and my husband had bell palsy he literally is paralyzed you know that's sent for supper so yes i was grateful to those people you know and I was even more grateful to my friends who knew that I was sick and bad throwing up for the first 20 weeks. And my husband, my rock, wasn't able to be there for me because he was getting over what he was going through. So it was definitely a battle. It was a challenge. It wasn't easy. My father died. My husband got sick. I'm pregnant. You know, <laughs> it was just a lot going on. And Baruch Hashem, we are stronger. We give chizak to those my husband gives chazak to the husbands, you know, especially the newlywed husbands where they didn't sign up for this. They thought Shana Rishona would be a bowl of peaches, you know, and they're taking care of their wife, Zofran, changing her IV dressings until the next shift of nursing comes. They're taking her to the emergency room, from the emergency room, uh, the beeping of the machine, you know, new batteries are needed, fluid empty, change the fluid, you know, um, Sometimes it gets too much. We have mothers, mother-in-laws calling us up, just literally losing their mind. What else do we do for our child? What is she psychotic? What's going on with her? You know, um, we, we do, you know, encourage them again. And this is crucial before having another baby to really sit down and plan with your rabbi that understands HG. And I'm not just talking about HG for anything that's going on in the home, you know, and I will repeat this a million times to the women that I have helped. You need to think a hundred times before planning your next pregnancy. Hopefully most of the time pregnancies are straightforward, but it, a woman is always taking a risk to her health and to her life by getting pregnant. That is the reality. And in this case, it is an established real risk to a woman's health and physical health and emotional and mental health, like you said. And also that there are children, the kids get affected. The kids need to be prepared. Most people don't tell their kids when they're pregnant. My kids know at four weeks that mommy is pregnant. Mommy may be very sick. Mommy may come home with tubes. Mommy may need to be in the hospital. Mommy's not dying. You know, mommy will feel better at a certain point. The teachers know, the mowers know. The rabbis know, the principals know. Really, the whole world has to know when we are pregnant. Thank you so much for coming on here, for being so vulnerable, for taking this huge challenge that you had and for transforming it into a growth opportunity to help so many others, so many other families. Like you said, this becomes a family issue. If this interview has helped one woman, I'm happy. If it gave chazak, if it gave validation to even one woman, I'm happy. Because I have just one sister and because I don't have local family over here, for my children to have siblings that 
love each other and that are there for each other. And if I could show my children what it means to be there for your siblings and that family is everything, then all of my pregnancies, you know, just to get nachas from my children and to see my children be there for each other. And that's literally what I engrave, what I instill upon my children. My sister lives in Manhattan, you know, not, she's, she's not here. If my, my, my kids could be there for each other. I didn't have, I want to give to my kids what I didn't have. And that's why I'm crazy. And that's why I do it again every few years. <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, there will be that magic miracle treatment pill cure. But until now we have the support. I have my backbones that I need. Um, I am grateful to those that have been there for me that have been able to be of a help to me, to my family, to my children in times of need. I want to let the audience know that there's never a reason to be embarrassed or ashamed to reach out for help. And yes, you do need to know who you're talking to. I've had people tell me crazy things. So you have to learn who you can talk to and who you can be vulnerable with. And there are amazing organizations out there. I could tell you, you know, where I am now on Tom's River, the Lakewood Beaker Cholem will help anyone and everyone that calls them. They have been a rock for my family. There are people in the community that you may not hear of. They may not be, you know, popular or superstar celebrity of the community, but they are there. They are helpful. They are vulnerable. I could be reached through my email address, pennygoldstein at gmail.com, H-E-N-N-I-E-G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And it really is my mission and my passion that no woman should ever have to suffer in silence, whether it be HG or mental illness, because HG did take a big toll on my mental health. I do have PTSD from my pregnancy where I suffered with sepsis. <laughs> I do have medical trauma. Yeah. Medical trauma is, is, is hard, but we get there. Um, we cope. We use our skills that we've learned in therapy to get through the day, to get through the minute sometimes. I have learned that you have to be your own, your own advocate in the medical world. It is crucial before I have a baby, I sit down with my OB and I tell her how it's going to go. I make sure I leave with my Zofran script, with my Bungesta script, with my Protonix script, with her already filling out in front of me home care information, you know, for when the time comes, I will go home with home care. If we could avoid the hospital at all costs and just go straight to the home care. Um, that's something important. You know, you have to learn how to be an advocate. And if you're too weak and too sick to be that advocate, call me. I'll be your advocate. Find someone that could be your voice when you don't have it. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwetit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. 
The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 